Welcome back to the campfire. And um, I just want to say, if this is your second episode with us, thank you for enduring the awkwardness of our last intro. Um, I'm your host, Jeremy. Hey, I'm Jess. And this is Marketing Trailblazers, um, where we sit down with mountain conquering CMOs and marketing directors and just talk about what they're doing, um, both in their marketing roles and in their lives. And uh, this episode, we've got probably one of my favorite people of all time, Sarah Heron, who is the um, marketing director for the Friends of the Smokies. Sarah's a pretty dynamic person. She's not only uh, had a vast amount of marketing experience, but she's also an elected official um, and has helped other people be elected to um, lots of good stuff in this interview. Jess, what were some of the, the highlights that you took away of like, wow, these are nuggets I can carry for my whole life? You want to talk about nuggets I'm going to carry for my life, whole life? Lifelong nuggets. Lifelong nuggets. Yes, that's what we're all about. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> um, Sarah kind of proved to me that um, you can do it all. Because she has done everything she with the founding and elections and everything. She's done a lot. Um, I really loved her stance on how to make a difference with, um, I don't want to give me spoilers, but disruption is not an email. Like, if you want stuff done, you got to get stuff done. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I think sometimes the, the, you know, shooting off an email to, you know, your congressperson feels like you did something. But um, that was uh, an eye opener for me mm-hmm. as well. Like, it's not really doing anything. You've got to kind of be a little bit louder than that. One of the other things I enjoyed about our conversation with Sarah is she's been able to sit on both sides of the marketing equation as a, as a client and um, as a um, someone who's working in an agency and now as a, as a CMO. And so she's been kind of all, all around the table on that and gives an, a, a unique perspective on the whole marketing process. Um, and as well, she's, she gives us some insight on how do you how do you market a nonprofit? How do you market events? So here is Sarah Heron, marketing director of Friends of the Smokies. Let's get this fire blazing. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you just say it like a late night radio DJ? Cheers, everybody. Cheers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cheers to giant water. Jug. Cheers to marketing. <laughs> You've worked for one of the largest television networks. You've owned your own marketing and PR firm, worked for a large multi-state agency, helped launch the Alliance for Better Nonprofits, provided marketing support for over 47 campaigns in the state of Tennessee and helped five black women get elected through that. You've helped form the Clayton Bradley Academy and are you're currently an elected official in the booming metropolis of Maryville, Tennessee. And now in your current manifestation of badassery, you are the marketing director uh, or the director of communications and marketing at uh, the Friends of the Smokies. Thank you, Sarah Heron, yeah, for, you. for joining us uh, on Marketing Trailblazers. We're excited to have you. Thank you for giving such a great synopsis of my resume. Yeah. Yeah. So it took a little bit of time, a lot well, the, of commas. The, the better the better <laughs> that you sound, the better that we sound. So okay. It's a, it's a, I got you, know, you. I got you, know, you. We'll scratch your back and well, you're scratching I'm here us. for you. So. Right. Well, um, so you've, you've done a lot of things. Um, and right now, uh, tell us about your your experience with Friends of the Smokies and what you all are trying to accomplish and 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 the mission of uh, Friends, because not a lot of people might be familiar with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Friends of the Smokies is an official nonprofit partner of the National Park, of Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And we're actually celebrating our 30th anniversary uh, this year. So Friends of the Smokies has been supporting the parks for fundraising. And I like to just tell people we get up every day and try to raise as much money as we can for our park. Which is the best national park in the country. Well, America feels that way because it's the most visited. Right. Like how many many people come to, to the Great Smokies every year? A lot, like millions. And I, for some reason, that it's number like, is sort of not in my brain, and it should be. That's embarrassing. No, I, I think it's like I think that you are only allowed to ask me questions I, that were emailed to me prior. <laughs> because here, I, I, here's the thing. This is, I don't know if it's like a learning disability. I can never remember numbers. Like, I have to have them in front of me. So thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> And embarrassing me. Well, it's, uh, we're, we're just raising awareness about this. It's a lot about, of people. About uh, this issue. Yeah, it is a lot. And, and you know, the Smokies requires philanthropic support because there are just things that are really important to that park and preserving it, protecting it, and providing things uh, for visitors that keep them safe and make that experience a good one that their budget cannot cover. Yeah. And so that's where we come in and... Um, every year, they have sort of a, a list. Right now, we're at about 71 programs and projects uh, for this year. And it's all of the things they need help funding. And so we go through that with them, and we um, start fundraising. We just and, start raising is, money to fulfill those needs. And this is everything from like keeping Kate's Cove maintained and, and, yes, uh, and, yes. and the, the trails. Like, yes. even the, like you go and you hike on a trail and you think, oh, this is a great trail, but you never yeah. you never really realize how much work goes into keeping those trails in good shape. That's right. And, and that's through a program called Trails Forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, that program pays for a dedicated crew to maintain and rehabilitate the most impacted trails. And so a lot of trail work and then also just things like... Um, you know, in terms of Cades Cove, we we help fund repairs to fences. That fencing is really important to Cades Cove. I mean, you think about um, what you see in Cades Cove, you, you see the, the fencing, and that that's important. Um, and we also, I'm trying to think of, oh, we also pay for things like maintenance of vault toilets, which sounds, you know, uh, not sexy, but until you are out in the hey, Smokies, yep. you really appreciate the fact that we are providing funding for this. Yeah, um, I've like, I've had to use one of those actually, yes, just to maybe yes. this might be TMI, but, yes. and, you, and you're like, wow, this is like an impressively nice restroom facility That's for right. being out in the middle of the, the mountains. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So visitor amenities is a big one. And then also we provide funding for, um, you know, the conservation work that they're doing. Yeah. And um, even things like search and rescue, there's equipment and uh, different things that they need that, again, are not part of that budget. And so we come in and, and fulfill those needs for them. And also covering training, providing um, training for them, you know, cost, the cost of that. Um, and then one of the things we're really proud of, we're really proud of everything we do, all 70 plus of, you know, those projects. But uh, we also help fund um, their parks as classrooms. So that brings over 10,000 students to the National Park every year to have hands-on learning experiences in their park. And also we provide funding for buses for Title I schools. So we provide funding for those students to be able to go to the park and learn and, um, and understand, too, ultimately, that this national park belongs to you. It belongs to all of us. And so it builds that stewardship. But I've actually been able to um, be part of some of those, you know, field trips myself. And it's really, I, I mean, what they are learning is incredible. 
really incredible learning experiences. Um, and also, I think park rangers are magical. And so to learn from a park ranger is a really great experience. So, you know, that's a program that I get really excited about. Yeah. I also get excited about things like um, air quality. You know, we provide funding for that program. And they monitor air quality. And then they report what they're finding to legislators, which then is translated into policy to make sure that our air is clean and safe. And so they're doing things like that that impacts this area, that impacts the environment um, that I think is incredibly important to not even just the park when you go and visit the park. But, you know, you think about the health and safety of the people who live around the Smokies. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I love what I do. Yeah. yeah, and that and that, that's an important part of marketing and, that's and getting, right. raising awareness. When you're passionate about what you are are pushing, that that's right, makes a difference. That, that's right. And for me, I always I'm a storyteller, and so to be able to tell the story of what we're doing and invite people to be part of it is really exciting, and it feels very um, just organic. And I love doing it. I mean, I really love getting up every morning and doing my job uh, because I care so much about that park and the work of that park and what it means to all of us and to all of the people who visit that park every year, millions and millions of people. And there's a big number there that I cannot remember, but it's a lot. <laughs> that's I, right. th- I think it, the last number I heard, it was like 14 million. That's, yeah, that's something like that. Yeah. yeah, I just don't like giving um, inaccurate numbers, but it's something like twelve between 12 and 14 million. Yeah. Um, but it it is uh, a lot of people and that park is so big and there's so many more places to explore that, you know, visitors may not even know about. And so um, hopefully, you know, there'll be some some changes there where people people can experience, you know, like an old growth forest that is not off of, you know, it's a little off the beaten path. But there's so many places that um, are so incredible. I mean, just the, the biodiversity of that park. And being part of that is so sacred. And we're like the the salamander capital of the world. That is right? correct. Yeah. Yes, and and wildflowers too. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yes, and this is a great time. Uh, actually, wildflowers are in bloom from about uh, April all the way to August. And so, yeah, go online and and find out where they're blooming because that is also just an incredibly magical experience in the Smokies to go and see fields of wildflowers and to be walking the... on a trail and see all the color in in the in the flowers. It's really. It's really a, a beautiful experience coming up too. Yeah, uh, when is it May? That yeah. is a good question for the park, and I you, I say that a lot because <laughs> late, yeah, late June, I think it's late early. June. Sometimes I've been there when it's like early June, but um, you know, I would definitely look on the uh, park website for that gotcha. information. Yeah. And yeah, I, I've been point been being, to that. We've got a lot of stuff going on. That's in, right. In the national park. It is, and it's you know it. it it impacts the entire world. You know, people from all over the world come and, um, you know, explore that park. Scientists come from all over the world. And um, it's a really important place for our environment, you know, for everyone, not just people who live around the Smokies, but it has such an impact. Well, and you've got um, you've got a big event coming up um, this year, later this year, uh, the Plain Air event. Yes. Yeah. So one of the ways that we raise money, um, there's actually several ways. And so let me get to that event in just a moment. So all the different ways that we raise funds for this national park that we love so much is that, you know, we have memberships so people can purchase an annual membership to Friends of the Smokies. And our other partner, GSMA, Great Smoky Mountains Association, they also have memberships and they are a really important 
partner of ours. They run the bookstores and they also raise money. And so I like to say all the cool kids have memberships to both. And so you should have a membership to both GSMA and Friends of the Smokies um, because it's, uh, you know, the work that we're all doing together is so important for that park. And if you want to be a really, really cool kid, you can get a license plate. That's right. Yes, that is the the bear tag. Yeah. Yeah, the bear tag. Um, And so that information is on our website. And those, uh, of course, I think they're the most beautiful license plate. Uh, They're available in Tennessee and North Carolina. But that the funding that that provides... Um, is really critical to well, the park, and and I'm I'm part of the really really cool kids club. I got a got a you uh, are me and, me and my wife both got a uh, license plate, um, and it's it's fascinating when I drive around and I see other people with that license plate. We may have like different tastes in bumper stickers, right? Yes. So I'll see someone that's like got bumper stickers with stuff that I would probably never ever put on my car. But I see that license plate. I'm like, you know what? We have that in common. Yeah. Like we both love our national park. That's we right. might be on completely polar opposite ends of the pol- of the political spectrum, but that's right. But we both love the national park, and so that's they're, right. they're, it's a it's a common ground sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those are those license plates are really important, and then um, also corporate partnerships and business sponsorships. We have great connections to the businesses that benefit from the park. You think about just the gateway communities right there. Uh, the national park has over a billion dollars worth of impact. And so it's a way to give back. But um, the other um, way, of course, to your point, are events. And so Friends of the Smokies has a lot of events. And um, as you know, they're a lot of fun. Uh, the events team at Friends of the Smokies, I, I say all the time, they're the gold standard of event planners. I mean, they just know how to throw a party. And something that's very different for our organization is this plein air in the Smokies event. And so it's not your typical, you know, auction and um, soiree kind of thing. Um, it is something that everyone can be part of. And um, it is a French word, which um, in terms of marketing and communications, that um, is actually you know, uh, challenge number one. Right. Fr- French, <laughs> French title for an for, event. In, uh, yes. Plein air. Yes. Plein air means outdoor painting. Yes. Okay. Yes. And my brother-in-law, by the way, is a French teacher in Morristown at a high school. And I want you to know that there will never be a time that I will be able to appropriately say plein air. I just don't have it. Like my mouth doesn't do that thing. So whatever. We accept all forms of pronunciation of plein air. Okay. Um, we don't care. It's just, it's plein air and it's outdoor painting. And so what we do is we're in this last year was the very first one. The inaugural yeah. event was last year. We bring 20 just nationally acclaimed artists who are plein air artists who paint outside, which is a challenge. You think about how light changes um, rapidly when you're painting. And so this is their, this is what they do. And uh, we bring them to the Smokies and they paint outdoors in the Smokies all week. And people can come and watch them paint. And really it's this, I, I, I loved it so much. It was such a beautiful experience because you are essentially experiencing the Smokies through the eyes of an artist. Mm. Watching them paint um, is just such a um, kind of mesmerizing experience. People just bring their chairs and sit and watch these incredible artists paint. Um, So that goes on all week, and that's the last week of September. I believe it starts the 24th of September. Information on our website, planairsmokies.org, which Epic Nine is working on right now for us, I believe. Yeah. Yes, yes. In they, full, yes. In full disclosure. Yes, uh, and, yes. Uh, Epic Nine is, is provides some services for Friends of the Smokies. Epic Nine is a source of uh, my sanity yeah. um, because they are so great at... <laughs> 
<laughs> taking care of our website. Um, and so actually um, information about those artists will be up very soon. Fantastic. Um, so so people and, can learn about about those those incredible and artists. And are you also doing the, the kind of the, the culmination event at the end? That's um, right. Yes. Yeah. And that's actually a fundraising piece. Okay. And so the artists create these incredible works of art. And then at the end of the week, we have actually it is called a soiree because we didn't want to call it a gala. Last year, we called it a gala and nobody knew what to wear. And so we're trying to call it something where everybody knows you just come in business casual or whatever you want to wear. But it's not an evening gown. Um, and so that is at the end of the week. It's on that Friday night, which I think is the 30th. You could, you could just tell them it's plain air attire. I think they'll get that. It's plain air attire. Um, you know, uh, former governor Bill Haslam was our um, MC for that, and he was in jeans. So, you nice, know, yeah. I feel like he sets the tone, and I, I like feel, that vibe. I feel like jeans are the new suit pants. I'm, I'm going to not. Uh, I'm gonna disagree. <laughs> I'm going to disagree, but I'm going to disagree. It's what I'm pushing for, at least. But, you know, here's how I know you that. You can push for that. Yeah. Yes. You can wear jeans where you want, but as a whole, I don't know if that is the trend. <laughs> Well, I'm an aging I'm, woman. I'm, man, I'm manifesting this into the, okay, into the future. Okay, listen, I'm a middle-aged woman, and this is how I know I'm aging. First of all, I call pants slacks. Okay, yeah. I call them slacks. And also, I really believe leggings are not pants, and I stand by that. And I'm also going to say I disagree with what you just said. And I'm sorry <laughs> if that hurts your feelings. You can wear your jeans, but I just want you to know I don't agree. The jeans jeans are to <laughs> pantsuits what uh, uh, yoga pants are to slacks? I don't know if that's a fair statement. I mean, you know, because I do like a legging. I just feel like, I mean, I, and listen, listen, if you can pull off a legging as a pant, good for you. (laughs) Good for you. I'm not, I'm fine. Like, listen, you just be you. I support you. I embrace you. I'm not wearing them as pants. Uh, You know, I'm just not too old. Anyways, I digress on that. So, uh, so the uh, art sale, it's a private ticketed event for the Friday night. And uh, 70% of the sales of those paintings benefit the park. And then the artists uh, keep that other uh, part. And the, the paintings are expensive. I mean, they're between like $800 to about 5000 I mean, they yeah. this is original art. Um, and then the public sale is the next day. So you don't need a ticket for that that Saturday. And um, the artwork will be available for purchase then. And, and you also have, there's like a, a ton of other artists that aren't in the, the big auction time that um, you can Yes. From two, right? Yeah, there's going to be what's called a quick draw. Yeah. And it's in Maribel. Mm-hmm. And um, I will have details about that on the website soon. But that is open to any artist who can come and register and um, compete. And whoever wins the quick draw has an automatic invitation to next year's plein air event. And so last year's winner will be with us. And um, there's also going to be a student. Um, competition. So more to come on that. So high school students will be able to sell their art and they'll be competing for cash prizes. And um, so we're excited about that. Yeah. Bringing that as part of plein air. Well, what's been, what's been a a marketing challenge that you faced with this new, new, it's really a new concept for an event. Yes. French name, all of that. What's, what are some of the marketing challenges you faced? um, Yeah. Getting the word out there and getting the, the crowd you want to the Uh, to the things. Yeah, this event has been one of the hardest things I've ever had to market. It really has been because, well, first of all, I got really spoiled. I've been at Friends for almost four years and events just sell out because everyone, I mean, they just have all these folks that love to come to these events. And um, so, so this one brand new, 
Um, I think the only one I really marketed marketed heavily was the 5K. You know, when I came on board, we, we needed to boost attendance there. But, you know, that niche is pretty, those targets are pretty easy to, to capture, you know, people who run. Um, so, so I was successful in that um, in getting the, that sold out. Um, plein air is just a marketing challenge in every way because it is, again, a French word. And the messaging is, um, you know, is a challenge, but it's also there's so many moving parts to that. You can come and watch them paint and there's an art sale and a quick draw. And, you know, and also on this day, the artists are in Elkmont and on this day, they're in Cades Cove. And where are they? You know, and so the, there's this sort of uh, massive schedule and um, so, and then just distilling it into a sentence about what it is. It's more than just an art event. Um, so, so that just messaging is a challenge, and you can do some of that with visual, but um, it's still a challenge, you know. And it seems like you 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 run this this line between you've got this really niche target audience that knows about plain air and travels all around the country to go to it. That's right. And if like, and if you could grab all of them and bring them, you'd, you'd be doing good, but you, but you know, you're not going to get all of them. No. And so you've also got to appeal to some extent to, to a wider audience that has no idea what plain air is um, and is unfamiliar with the concept. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a weird line to, to walk. That's right. It's it, you know, it's general awareness and then it's hyper-targeted. I mean, you have to do both. So for us, it's, you know, general awareness. We want people to come and experience this, experience artists in the park. And um, something that for this event, too, that's I, I just feel like this event is so special because um, a lot of people don't know this. The park was founded um, because of artists. Artists no wanted this. Yes, they wanted this beautiful, this beautiful place to be set aside. And so artists were so important in the establishment of the park. So it just feels so right for mm. us to have artists in this park and to, and for that to be a way to experience our national park. Um, so there's the general awareness and making sure that folks know about it and come and experience it. And last year, we did have some folks who are just fans of a specific artist, and they came to watch them paint because they love that artist. Um, so the, the general awareness of that. But then in terms of targeted, you think about, okay, this is a fundraiser. So we need to target people who purchase art and can purchase art at that $800 to $5,000 range. So that's high income. And that's challenging. That's really challenging. And, um, and that, but that's just the reality of it. That's how we are raising funds for the park. So uh, that has been uh, certainly a challenge. I will say, Last year, um, it it really it like kept me up at night because one, I knew that this team at Friends of the Smokies was going to execute the event with perfection, and they did just down to the very smallest details. It was a fantastic event. In fact, the artists uh, we had there were pretty seasoned at you know competing and, and being part of these events. They said this is one of the best ones we've ever been to. Mm. Not just for an inaugural, but just in general. This is one of the most um, excellent events that we've been part of, and that yeah. was a huge compliment. From my end, I'm worried. I don't think I can get people there. What if I can't get anybody there? And it's in my backyard. It's anchored in Blunt County. So then it felt like no one's going to come to my birthday party, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was going to take that very personally. Um, so so it was, you know, it was one of those, uh, I mean, it was a really big challenge that just really kept me up at night. I felt such a heavy responsibility to um, 
bring people to the event and work, just worked really hard. Marketing is all about rolling up your sleeves yeah. and just working hard. It is grinding away and, well, you know, trying to get the word out in every possible way that you can with limited funds to do the advertising part of that because it's new. Yeah. Well, so, and, and you're in a little bit of a better position this year because you got some of the local folks or the you know the regional folks yeah. that, that came yeah. that are like, okay, we know what this thing is now. And so you can kind mm-hmm. of build a little bit of momentum on that. Yes, yes. And can I just say that last year, inaugural year, we raised, we generated $280,000 and netted $100,000 for the park. That's fantastic. So I'm going to say it was a success. It was a huge success. Yeah. We were thinking we may break even, you yeah. know, and at that uh, gala, not a gala because we weren't informals, but a soiree at that event when we're selling the art, I'm there and just talking to folks, I go around the corner. It's at the Clayton Center for the Arts in Maribel. I go around the corner. It'll be there again this year, too. And our volunteers were packing up all of this art. And I said, has that sold? And they said, all of this art has sold. And I was like, I'm going to go have a glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to celebrate and breathe, you know, yeah. because we have done the thing. Yeah. And so it was a success. But luckily what I realized going into this, you know, the the dream was we want to bring all these people in, you know, from other places, and we want to capture people who already go to plein air events. And it's not that we didn't try to do that, but I kind of face the reality that this event is going to be successful by reaching our current supporters and by bringing in local people to come to this event because it's the very first one. And uh, so that is where I shifted my energy was to um, do the inbound work of content and reaching our um, our current supporters that we've built for 30 years. And, um, and they showed up, and they showed up big time. So that was exciting, and I put a lot of effort into local media and, um, you know, trying to get editorial from them. We also invested in advertising locally. Because um, the other thing, too, with that is, you know, for folks that are going to come to this event and potentially purchase art. I wanted them to see it on television and see it in the newspaper because it it gives validity to what we're doing and it hopefully gets them excited about it. So, you know, those folks kind of need to see it. This is a big deal. It's a big thing. And so I just worked really hard to get it everywhere. And we did that. We did that. Yep. I had to pull every favor. You know, I had like an empire of favors built and that has dwindled. I called every person I knew in media <laughs> to help me with the yeah, story. Yeah. And it definitely leads more to the, the PR side. Of, yeah, that's of right. That's experience. the PR side. And, and also the advertising uh, strategy, you know, those are such different disciplines. Um, I will say, you know, I started out in my career as a newspaper reporter and I have a journalism degree. And so I'm pretty good at pitching a story, you know, finding an angle. And so even though I'm not a PR trained person, I do have that instinct and can pitch a pretty good story. And so I did a lot of that, you know, just calling newsrooms, calling reporters that I knew and just trying to find an angle for them. So they're, you know, telling a story beyond here's just this event at this time, but really angling that to tell the story about artists in the park and just finding ways to, you know, showcase like one of the local artists um, that most a lot of people know in Townsend. So doing a special interest on her, you know, things like that. So just finding ways to tell the story of this event that um, is compelling. So speaking of PR, this may be a good time to segue in to some of your political experience with with marketing. Okay. 
We can do that. So with marketing for a nonprofit and for something political, that's very different than standard commercial marketing. How how do those overlap for you? Do they go hand in hand? Do you feel like they're completely different? Do you feel like they merge? Yeah, I mean, you know, really, when you just talk about, and I don't mean to be too elementary here, no, when you just talk about the, the 101 of marketing, you know, what you're doing is you are, you have an objective, you have someone you want to reach, and you have something you want them to do. So whether that's, I want that person to go and buy this thing, like buy art, uh, or I want this person to go online and click this thing and complete a transaction. That's called a conversion. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you want that or you want someone to go to the polls and vote for you, that's a conversion. And I, I see it that way. Um, and it is, you know, I understand this, you know, the sacred part of your civic duty to vote. So I'm not trying to minimize that. But ultimately, for me, in terms of tactic, it is still a conversion. It is I'm reaching these people and I need them, as many of them as possible, to go to these places and do this thing for me. And so just on a fundamental level, you start there. Mm-hmm. And then you start breaking down, you know, doing things like segmentation. Who who can we reach? And what is it we need to say to them? What is it they need to hear? And how are we listening? Or, you know, also, who are the segments? Who are the folks that I need to make sure I'm listening to to build this platform? Um, so you, you go there. And that's something that when I was working with um, candidates from across the state is to, you know, sort of build that out and to be really thoughtful about things like voting blocks. And for me, you know, a voting block is a subdivision, you know, a subdivision that has had issues, a subdivision that is, um, you know, having some tension with uh, their government. You know, to me, that's kind of a voting block. Let's have a conversation and let them know I'm listening. Um, so it's not just demographic, you know, sometimes it's just location based. So just trying to to build out that strategy. And then and then from there, you start getting into the weeds and you have to think about all the ways you can do that, all the tools you have available and then get really honest about the resources you have. So not just funding, but people, because I always tell candidates this, the cavalry is not coming. Right. And ultimately, you are going to be responsible for executing these things. What are the things you must do that if you don't do, you don't stand a chance? Um, the other thing is, I always tell, and I, this is something I like to tell candidates because I think it's where you sort of take that breath, is that just running for office is a community service. Mm. So even if you don't win, you have done something really incredible for democracy and for your community by putting your name on the ballot because there should be no coronations. There, every single candidate, every single incumbent, especially, should have someone to challenge them. Except when I run again in two years, <laughs> there should be nobody challenging me. But otherwise, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I think it's actually really healthy and important um, because that's where constituent power lies. So if you are someone who um, wants to feel empowered when you go before your elected officials, if you have a problem, an issue, a need, you don't have any power if they're just always reelected with no challenge. Right. But that, if you're a constituent yeah. who votes them and can vote them out, whether you think they're a, you know running against a viable candidate or not, who cares? There's no name that people can choose besides yours. And that matters to yeah. people who are serving their communities and want to continue to do so for another term. It's, it, and that happens more often on, in local elections than I think a lot of people realize is that people win the election simply because there's nobody that 
That's right. That ran against them. Right. Yeah. And a lot of it's, it's you know, this sort of like, well, I couldn't win. And maybe not. You're probably right. Uh, or I couldn't win with, you know, because I'm part of this party or because I'm this or that. It doesn't, you know, look, if you feel like you are someone who has the time and the passion to get out in the community and have conversations and give them constituent power is what you're doing. Um, you should just go for it. It's not just about the win. It's mm-hmm. about giving people an opportunity to assert their constituent power. So I always like to say that too. So that's kind of, I know that's not really answering your question. No, it was all great though. <laughs> yeah. And so then, you know, so then you think about the marketing part mm-hmm. is important because the marketing part is more than just campaigning. It's a community service. Mm-hmm. And that is how I approached my campaign is I don't know if I can win this. So I was, and I was the first woman ever elected to Maryville city council. Wild. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm really proud of that. Well, what, what, if you could boil it down into a couple of nuggets, if someone's thinking about running for, for a, an office, local, national, whatever, what would you, what would you say is like, you need to make sure you do this? It's a good question. From, from the marketing standpoint. In terms of, well, one is to um, do what I was just talking about is to just start with that fundamental and think about what it is we can and cannot do. The other thing I think is to kind of build out some things like distilling your message, really short message, right? So for me, when I was talking to people in the park. So I would kind of go around my little red wagon with my snacks and my water and talk to, you know, parents in, in, in the city. And the way I introduced myself is I'm the mom on the ballot. I didn't go through my resume. I didn't talk about all the things I've done professionally. I didn't talk about myself. I just said, I'm the mom on the ballot and I want to know what matters to you. And I want to represent you. And then when I talked to, depending on who it was, I would say, I'm a working person. I don't own a big business. I'm not fluent. And I feel like we need representation. And I also always use the pronouns we and us. I didn't talk about you and tell you what you needed. And I didn't talk about me all the time because it was about us. And I really believed in bringing representation to the city, not just for women, um, but also bringing transparency because I, I would, you know, at the heart of all of this, I'm a journalist. Um, and so that, you know, was, I think you have to sort of say to yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I running? And um, who, how am I going to introduce myself? And how am I going to introduce myself quickly? Because um, you will lose them if you just stand there and talk about yourself. Um, so I think those kinds of, those kinds of exercises are really important. Right. Have I answered your question? Probably not. I, you had me hooked the whole time. Okay, good. No, my question was. That's excellent. It's great. It's good. I'm glad you're not asleep. You look awake. Okay. Absolutely. That's good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And anything political, I feel like you're also battling a lot of assumptions, Mm -hmm. whether it's good assumptions or bad assumptions. So I feel like in the marketing part, you have to factor a lot of that in. You do. And I think for me, that's why local politics is so refreshing, Mm -hmm. because it really is a nonpartisan job. It's about city services. It's about picking up trash and keeping property taxes lower so that, you know, people who've lived in their homes for 40 years can stay in their homes and their taxes don't force them out. Um, So it's things like that. Um, And I, I think that folks who are, you know, at the local level, if they're doing it right, then... It's not partisan. I mean, it just isn't. Right. 
Right. Now, some of those some of those things will bubble up, mm-hmm. right? Some of those values will bubble up. So I was very, very honest about my position because that's how people vet their candidates, and that's fair. And I, there was just not a question I was unwilling to answer. Yeah. And you're also dealing with not necessarily a small town, but not a huge town in the south, <laughs> right. too, where we don't like egos. Right. We want community and to feel like you're a part of things and thing you're Things are going to change. That's right. You can be trusted. So the yeah. we versus I, I feel like, is a huge part of that. There, there are things that I found, because I talked to a lot of people, um, that I found were really common, regardless of who they were, that, you know, all these walks of life, is that they really appreciated that you were accessible. So I always gave them my phone number. And guess what? They use it. <laughs> and my email. So you have access to me. Um, the other thing is I'm honest. I really am. That's why I'll answer any question whether or not they believe it. I feel like if you had a conversation with me, it became pretty clear. Um, and that um, I really care. I really care about your, you know, your family. And I care about this community. And I think if you have a genuine heart, I, people will pick up on that. Um, one of my favorite moments of my campaign, I, I really made an effort to um, canvas, you know, I was going door to door and speaking to neighborhoods. I made an effort to go to Section 8 housing, to low-income housing. I've, again, it was a community service for me. You know, those folks, we we have databases and tools so we can see who's voting, you know, who has a record of voting. And so here's the thing, they vote, you know. Um, I don't think that um, they, what I found is they don't, they're not always reached. And, you know, cause it's a lot easier, too, to go to an affluent uh, neighborhood where they're close, the houses are close together, or they, you know, it's condos, whatever. It's it's kind of hard sometimes to go in these uh, the low income neighborhoods too. Um, I felt like it was important, and so it was a value of mine. So one of the neighborhoods I went to, you know, I'm walking around and I was by myself <clears throat> for this one, and I have my little you know rat cards that I'm passing out. And I'm talking to folks, and um, there was a, a man sitting on his porch. And I'm, I'm a Democrat, by the way. And, um, and so I'm going around and talking to folks and he was sitting on his porch and he had a Trump flag, like an actual flagpole with Trump flag and all of this Trump stuff up, you know, and I was just like hoping he would go inside and that I wouldn't have to talk to him. Okay. Because it was, you know, I'm like, this is not going to go well, you know, and I may die. Like today is the day, you know, just kidding. I don't think that about Trump supporters, but I just know you never know. Anyway, so I just, you know, he's watching me. So I decided I'm going to, I need to go over there and talk to him. So I went over there and talked to him on his porch and we had this really great conversation about, you know, the job of a city council person, what I was trying to do. I listened to the things that were important to him um, about the city, you know, and we had, a, we had a really good conversation and I gave him my little pamphlet, my little card, and I started walking away. And as I turned, he said, let me ask you something. And I was like, oh, okay, here it comes. <laughs> he goes, you voting for Trump? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm not. And he said, well, you know what? I'm going to vote for you anyways. Cause he said, no one has ever come to this neighborhood and asked for my vote. Mm. Nobody. Had ever asked for his vote. And I, I, I get teary thinking about it because it's like, wow, he was able to overcome something he was so passionate about. And we come from these opposite sides of the spectrum. And I still visit that neighborhood and we're still friends. Um, and I was just so moved by that, that, you know, he was going to still give me a chance, even though I was just not in the same political sphere as him, mm-hmm. that he still felt like I was worthy to serve. So. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, that's a yeah, story. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very. It still moves me because yeah. it's you know I think about that you know, in terms of representing people, Mm -hmm. that it's not about representing a party. Like, we're not serving a political agenda. And for me, regardless of where I'm serving, that's just not where my heart is. My heart is Mm -hmm. about serving people, um, doing meaningful work. And so, yeah, it was just really refreshing. And it kind of gave me hope in this country, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to have that exchange. So, yeah. And then my dad, who's a big Trump supporter, uh, was <laughs> was, was my biggest, biggest fans. Yeah. He <laughs> sat outside the early voting centers and campaigned for me. Just chased people down the parking lot. <laughs> Do you live in the city? You know. And uh, he said he always report in, and his reports were so hilarious. You know, he's crazy. And uh, he um, he would tell me what everybody was saying. He said this one couple said, "Well, she voted for Trump." He said, "Well, I am." You know, I don't know. She's very honest. So go vote for her and then call her. She'll tell you, you know, because that's that's kind of who she is. Well, you you said something um, in, in part of our conversations. You said this thing and it stuck with me. You said disruption is not an email. That's um, right. And when you're thinking about like how to and this is kind of going going a little bit outside of, of marketing, but it's still in the political realm is just dis, disruption is not an email in the sense that if you want if you want your elected official, whether they're you voted for them or not, if you want them to, to make any sort of change, it's not going to happen through an email. Can, you, can right. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and that goes into sort of, you know, activism. But in a way, you think about it, it is kind of marketing. It's sort of, it's like you marketing know, from the ground up rather than the top. It's down. like personal. Yeah, yeah, it's a personal thing. It's sort of how are you getting someone's attention? How is it you're getting someone to do something you want them to do or to at least pause? And think about what they're doing and make them work, make them answer for that. And so, you know, again, it goes back to constituent power. And the way that you assert constituent power is, first of all, you remind them, I vote for you and you work for me Um, and I can vote you out. I can vote for you in a primary. It doesn't matter what party I'm in. I'm somebody who helps decide whether or not you stay in that position. And if you're someone who is an elected, you are aware of that every single day. Um, and real quickly, let me just say, speaking, of, you know, to the, you know, how powerful a vote is, I think a lot of people think, well, it doesn't really matter how I vote because uh, mm-hmm. Tanya Martin, who is currently the mayor of Alcoa, um, she was the first black woman ever elected to Alcoa Commission, which I guess is council now. And when she first ran, which was 2018, she won by five votes. Wow. Five. Mm-hmm. And she unseated an incumbent who had been in that position since the early 70s. <laughs> she replaced him by five votes. That's, that's an, wow. an incredible And then story. because she built so much equity in her, in her community serving her first term, she actually had the most votes this last mm-hmm. election of any other candidate. Yeah. She had the highest number. She won definitively. And then they elected her mayor. So if we don't email, what, what do we need to do? Okay, so back to the activism. Yes, uh, on that. You need, to, you need to disrupt. You need to make phone calls. Um, if they have an office, you need to get dressed up and uh, act very civilly. Wear slacks. Um, wear slacks. I recommend slacks. You know, well, Not because, yoga pants or jeans. You know, show respect if you can. I mean, you can go in whatever. I always tried to dress up because it was yeah. like I'm a professional. Um, and, you know, act you know, act well, be, be polite, mm-hmm. but disrupt that day. And, uh, you know, an email is, I know it feels good to get your thoughts out, but let me tell you something. They're not getting read. The, one of the worst days you can have as an elected official is to have a bunch of people who are mad at you calling your phone. You know, 10 people 
calling you is a bad day Mm -hmm. um, because they are disrupting you. Even if you don't answer, you got voicemails. And it's a disruption. If they have an office, you think about like even a state legislator or member of Congress, and you're visiting their office, you're, you know, um, making it difficult for their staff to get any work done. Um, and that staff is letting them know we didn't get anything done because all these people kept coming in, you know, just two and three at a time all day, the entire day coming in. I want to talk to some. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to my legislator and just interrupting the day, the phone just ringing off the hook. It is disruption, and that's marketing too, right? We're disrupting to get attention, you know, get someone's attention. Yeah, you break it through the noise. That is what works: mm-hmm. is to disrupt your day. You're going to have to stop. You're going to. We're going to make you pause and answer a question. This isn't just I'm going to tell you how I feel. Mm-hmm. You need to always form that, you know, as partly as a question, you know, and make them answer for why they are taking that position, why they are voting that way. You got to make them reflect and think. And they answer to you, so make them give you an answer. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. So for like other political, well, political marketing in general, I guess. So I'm I'm a younger millennial. I don't really feel like I'm a cusper because I have an older sister. But I feel like my whole life, I have always heard like young people need to get out and vote, get the young people to vote, all of that. And I've been a voter, but I also grew up with a very political dad who I didn't agree with so I kind of turned away from politics same girl (laughs) yeah it's fun I stayed engaged though (laughs) well I I did but then I lived in Nashville where it's very blue and I didn't feel like I had to right that's changing by the way yeah Yeah. it is um so how would you like advise other political marketers to like truly help get the young vote because I feel like I've heard it for forever but it I we're seeing that more now, but sure. not as much as it could be a thing. Well, what I'm seeing, and now I'm going to say this, and I want to preface it with, I don't really have data or research to back this up. I'm, mm-hmm. This is all instinct, okay? Is that I think because we live now in an influencer kind of world, and that's just, that's kind of the culture, is that how that translates into politics is that I think people need candidates that they connect with and that they admire and that inspire them to go to the polls. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, that doesn't mean I'm talking about people who talk about themselves all the time, but people who know how to make that connection and who are just the kind of who who have who are able to message what they want to do and why and to um, and to make that connection that, listen, I'm not here just to be an elected. I want to be a public servant. And what does that look like? And what do you need? And how can I go get it for you? Um, so I think it's it used to be, and I still hear it though sometimes, is here are the issues that voters care about. And no, it's not a, it's not an issue. They care about candidates. And uh, if you can inspire as a human, like a person to make that conversion, mm-hmm. um, that that is what my gut is telling me is that candidates need to be influencers and they need to be um, sort of modeling how they're campaigning based on what influencers do um, by connecting to people through social media in all those various forms and um, really becoming essentially an influencer who can inspire people to go to the polls for them. Yeah. Yeah. 
and, and inspire the inspired trust. Like you're, we're, we're saying, I'm going to trust you to make decisions. Not just that you're going to say you're going to make decisions, but mm-hmm. that you're actually going to do it. That yeah. you're going to have the guts to do what you say you're going to do. And, and I think people understand that there's only so much you can do. I mean, I do think that it's this understanding that, um, you know, you have, to, you have to be careful about over-promising. And I think voters have to be careful about expectations because, you know, when you're in that you know position, once you're there, when the rubber hits the road, you still have colleagues that, you know, also have a vote and have positions and um, constituents and you have to work with them. And it's a, it is a long process. A lot of times it's not something you can just go in and uh, flip a switch and you're able to do this thing. And it's a lot of compromise. Um, but, you know, you think if I can get someone in there who cares about me, who's accessible, who's transparent, who can explain to me why this is working this way and takes the time to do that um, and goes and, you know, battles for you and advocates for you. Um, and so much of the work of, of being an elected official isn't just in policy. You know, an example of that is a lot of times for me, it's just helping people connect with the right person at the city to answer their questions or to provide a service that they need. And that has nothing to do with, you know, legislating, nothing to do with how we vote. It's just I'm accessible and I'm someone who will help you. And I can usually expedite things um, because the city manager works for five of us and I happen to be one of them. And so it's it's a way to, again, assert your constituent power and get the things you need. To wrap us back into to marketing, mm-hmm. I, want, I want to tap into the extensive experience you've had just on all sides of marketing from an agency to a, a nonprofit to um, your position now. If you can kind of give our audience um, what's in, in relationship to working with an agency, both from the agency standpoint and from someone who uses an agency, what do you think are are the best things that they can both do? What as a as a business using an agency, what's something that you would say if you see these red flags, you need to you need to run away. And as an agency, what would you say is how can you best uh, uh, support that business? Yeah, that's a good question. I think with marketing, whether working with an agency or you're doing it in-house, first of all, is that everyone needs to have uh, realistic objection, you know, the um, objectives. So you think about what is it we're trying to do? And then also, well, how are we going to measure it? And um, what does that look like? Marketing is very difficult to measure. And I found that folks who are not in marketing um, and who see it as just this really expensive investment, and it is, have sometimes um, unrealistic expectations of what it's going to do and what the measurement will look like. And it's one of those things where sometimes marketing isn't measurable. But if you don't do it, you're going to feel it. If you don't do marketing, you will feel it. Um, And if you do it, sometimes you feel like you're just not getting traction because it's very difficult to, to, to see that, but it's there. Um, so I think that's the first part is saying, what are we trying to do? And let's be very, very clear about that because it can get real wild and unfocused. And then we're just doing all these things. And why are we doing them? And we're spending a lot of money and no one's happy about it. And then how are we going to measure it? You know, how are we going to determine whether or not it was successful? And let's be very realistic about that. And sometimes those measurables are kind of abstract and that's okay because it's still important to do it. And then I think um, the next thing for that, when you're working with an agency or if you're leading a team, you're leading the marketing team, is that you have to build a plan. 
And for me, that plan, you know, typically includes paid. You know, here's the thing we're going to, you know, the things we're going to do where we're paying. Here are the things that are um, kind of inbound, the content that we're going to do. And then here's some of the earned media, the free things and the gift in kind. So I kind of put all those things in that bucket. But I build out this plan and I even assign months to it so we can kind of keep ourselves on track. Here's the month we're going to pitch the story and we're going to purchase this ad and, you know, that kind of thing. But you build out that plan and it is a roadmap. And you can take little detours. You can flex it. But you have to stay disciplined because if you're not disciplined and you don't follow a plan, then you're probably, first of all, not going to reach an objective. You're probably going to spend money that didn't make sense to spend. Um, and you're probably not going to be happy with your efforts. But if you have that plan in front of you and you're checking it off, um, then that in of itself is a success. So I always say plan, 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 build a good plan, get buy-in for that plan. And I think that, you know, when you're working with leadership like CEOs and, you know, funders, things like that, if they see that you have a plan, you followed it, you executed it, they, they're pretty happy with that. So Awesome. Yeah. And then working through committee, um, you can kind of get keep them on the <laughs> keep them on the road. Which is, is, is good. there any any magic magic tricks to to getting buy in from committees when you're when you're pitching something that that may be foreign to them? I think you know. Well, if you have we have we've actually really been lucky. We have a lot of folks like, for example, on Plein Air, a marketing committee where we have really talented people and they have their niche. You know, so it's again, it goes back to that, you know, synthesizing the things we can do that we know will probably work because we've researched it. There's some data there or that we, you know, we have available, but also our resources. So here are our resources. Here's not just the budget we have, but here are the people we have. Here are the people we have that are excited to do this for us, have the the skill set, have the tools. So let's put them to work and let's put that in the plan. And then just everyone is doing their thing and doing the thing that they love and doing the thing that they've offered, doing the thing they're good at. Um, and so just sort of wrangling all that together and keeping everyone on track and feeling organized and not, you know, um, just kind of swirling around. So I think when you have people in, in a nonprofit world, when you have folks that want to volunteer, um, I think that, you know, that is a resource and you got to put it to work and then scale it, you know, make sure that it's not wearing you out. Um, and just get them on a plan and get, get buy-in for that. Like, this is what I'm thinking we do. Let's have you do this, this, this at this time. And here's kind of a deadline for that or a time frame for that. And then we all just stick to that and we all go out and we roll up our sleeves and we get the work done. Well, thank you, Sarah, for coming on and being a part of the Marketing Trailblazers. Um, and we hope to talk to you again sometime soon. That's great. I get. Am I going to get invited again? Am oh, I, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah, good. I didn't do anything terrible. That's good. All right. Excellent. I behaved. I love you all. I do. <laughs> Marketing Trailblazers with Jeremy LaDuke and Jess Tackett is produced by me, Lance Pettiford, co-produced by Kaylee Eastep, graphic and web design by Will Lunsford, and guest support provided by Kaylee Swaggerty. Marketing Trailblazers is a production of Epic Nine Marketing Outfitters, helping ambitious brands grow since 2014. If you are a CMO looking to conquer some mountains, or you need a CMO to help get you to the top, then contact Epic Nine and get started with a base camp consultation at epic9.com. Want more great content to help fuel your marketing adventures? Sign up for exclusive content and get early access to our Marketing Mountain School content at marketingtrailblazers.com. Mm-hmm.